Welcome to Dream Up by Burdock, a weekly podcast show connecting you with inspiring Asian American creatives by exploring what they do and the paths that got them there. This is Dream Up. Hi, this is Peter Ashley. Today I'll be speaking with my good friend Tim Chan. Tim is a writer and editor who has interviewed everyone from Lady Gaga and Post Malone to Michael B. Jordan and Cameron Diaz. He is currently the director of products and commerce at Rolling Stone, where he leads the magazine's coverage of fashion, tech, and consumer goods. Hi, Tim. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good, good. (laughs) Thanks for coming on the show, Tim. Peter and I actually talk like every day, basically. So (laughs) it's weird that we're now recording our conversations for this podcast. So do you want to start with introducing yourself and telling us what you do? Yeah, sure. So I am currently the lifestyle and market editor for Rolling Stone magazine. I've been working as a journalist for over 20 years. I started my career really in broadcast, but I've worked across television, digital, and now working for a print magazine. I want to go back and start from the beginning. If you could walk us through your journey Well, you know, I've always wanted to be a journalist or a writer, at least ever since I was a little kid. I remember like in the fourth grade, I would put together like my own magazines. I would, you know, write them, draw the photos and then like staple them together, go to Kinko's and like photocopy them so I can make copies for everyone. So this was always something I wanted to do. But, you know, I think being raised in a traditional Chinese family, being a journalist or a writer is not really something that was encouraged. My parents definitely encouraged the fact that I liked to write and that I was good um, in English class, but they weren't really pushing journalism as an occupation. And in fact, I didn't know any journalists really. So the idea was that I would go and study law and become a lawyer. Um, Something my parents used to say was like, just because you like to ride a bike doesn't mean you're going to be a professional cyclist. That really kind of stuck with me. I was like, okay, I guess I'll just write as a hobby and I'll really study and become a lawyer. So, you know, in high school, I definitely was like the editor in chief of the school paper and I volunteered on the yearbook committee and I did all that stuff. But again, it was just like, this is my hobby. I'm good at it, but it's just my hobby. And then for college, I went to McGill University in Montreal. Again, I did the school paper, did all that stuff. And in my final year, I was about to apply to law school. And I was like, you know what? I really enjoy writing. I really think I could make it as a journalist. So I applied for journalism school. And what's interesting is every single journalism school in Canada rejected me. There was one called the University of Western Ontario, and I got put on the waiting list. Uh, And I remember like my best friend at the time, she made it in. And I was like, man, this sucks. Like we could have gone to grad school together for journalism, but I didn't get in. And so I thought, okay, well, that's it. Maybe, maybe this isn't for me. Maybe I'm not good enough to be a journalist. And there was one school that I applied to in the US, only one school. We forgot to mention that I'm from Canada. I'm Canadian. And so we it wasn't really a big thing for us to apply to American universities, but there was one that I applied to, and it was Columbia University in New York. I did not think I was gonna make it in there especially because I was rejected from all the Canadian universities. But I applied and somehow I got in. And at that point, I was like, well, I've got to do it. you know. And I think even my parents who were skeptical, they were like, wow, if he got into an Ivy League university, he must be good at this. And so they were then more accepting of me going into journalism. And so I moved to New York, did one year of journalism school. It's a one-year master's program. And that's sort of how... I got into journalism, you know, it was really 
going to school for it, I had to prove to myself and to my parents that I could do it and that I was good at it. And then that's how my career began. And then what happened after Columbia? What was your next step? Yeah, while I was at Columbia, I definitely, you know, did all the internships, everything you're supposed to do. I interned at a couple of magazines. And one of my internships took me to a TV station called New York One. And it's basically a 24-hour news station in New York City. And I interned there as a writer. And they ended up hiring me after my journalism program was over. And I became a writer. I wrote for the morning news. So every morning I would wake up at three in the morning, be in the office at 4 a.m. And we were live on the air at 5 a.m. And I would write the scripts that the anchors and reporters would read. And eventually I got promoted to a producer and I was producing the morning news. Um, so my hours every day were 4 a.m. to noon. It was great. You know, I love the, the rush of breaking news. When you're producing a morning show, you're literally the first people to break the news. Whatever happens overnight, you know, you're bringing it to air. People are finding out from you. And I love that energy. New York City is a great place if you're interested in news because there's always um, something going on. And, you know, that was my first real journalism job as a TV producer for a local news network. And then from there, I met a guy named Peter Ashley, <laughs> who... Um, was going to school. I mean, I'll just tell your story. He, he was, you were going to photography school at SVA and we were introduced, I think through my sister. I mean, we had mutual friends, but I think my sister introduced us and she's like, you got to meet my friend, Peter. Um, he's also from Toronto. He's also artsy. Remember when people used to call <laughs> us like artsy? Right. I'm not sure if they said it in a positive way or <laughs> no not at all They're like, oh you got to meet you got to meet peter you two are both so artsy and we met up and we hit it off and you know one thing that uh, you and i discovered was that we both really loved magazines um and this was like 2006 2007 but it was before really like the digital age it was still when print was like a huge thing and we started getting to know each other and we both were like, you know what our dreams are would be to start our own print magazine. And I just remember talking to you and we were very different in terms of what we liked. I was very much like a pop culture guy. You know, you were into photography and fine art and fashion. We thought, what if there's a way that we could make a magazine that combined my interest for pop culture and celebrities and your interest in photography and fine art and we did it, you know, and we just started a magazine. This was like, I'm 24, 25 years old, fresh out of grad school. You're fresh out of photography school. And we're, we started a magazine. The magazine was called Corduroy Magazine, Corduroy like a corduroy jacket. <laughs> You're chuckling because I use that analogy. What was interesting about Corduroy, well, first of all, you know, backtrack a little bit. I, I mentioned that my job was producing the morning news show. So what was really lucky about that was my day ended at 12 noon. You know, I started at 4 a.m., which sucked, but I ended my day at 12 noon. So I had the whole afternoon to work on other things. And that's when we would meet to like work on this corduroy magazine. And people always ask me, like, how did you guys start a magazine? And I wish I said, like, we had a business plan and we had an advisor and we did all this research. We really didn't. If you think about it, we kind of winged it and somehow it worked. Wouldn't you say? Yeah, I think we definitely winged it and figured things out along the way. You know, we used to meet at Barnes and Noble, this Barnes and Noble at Union Square, and we would go to the magazine section and just we would just sit there and read magazines and like look at photos and look at stuff we liked. And I'd be like, oh, I really like how this magazine shot this celebrity or who I really like the paper texture of this magazine or the size of this. And that's how we came up with Corduroy and what we wanted Corduroy to be. It was really 
looking at magazines that inspired us and then seeing how we could incorporate that into our dream magazine. I was obsessed with reading mastheads to be like, what are the positions at a magazine? Oh, I didn't know there were like five different types of editors or like, what does it mean to be a contributor, to be on the contributors page, you know, all these things. That's also where I found out where these magazines were printed, you know, on the masthead. You would look in the very bottom after all the credits and things like that. And it would say, oh, printed by this company in this city. And I think that's how we found our printer for Corduroy. We cold called a bunch of these printing companies that we saw on mastheads. And we're like, hey, we're starting a magazine. How much would it cost to print, I don't know, 5,000 copies or whatever? And so that was my life in New York for a good four years, you know, producing a television morning show in the wee hours of the morning, and then working on Corduroy Magazine in the afternoon. Right. And then how did you go from Corduroy to your now position at Rolling Stone? What were the steps in between? I mean, yeah, there were a lot of years and steps in between. So I, I actually only spent four years in New York, um, and I missed the energy of New York a lot. I missed the excitement there. But after four years, I kind of felt, you know, burned out. I felt I didn't have the connections that maybe people need in New York to survive. Like I didn't have a family name or I just, I just didn't know people. And I found it very difficult to move up in my career because I didn't have anyone advocating for me. Maybe at that point, I also was a little bit more insecure and I didn't know how to speak up for myself. Even though I knew I was good at my job, maybe I thought like, I don't see any Asian guys working in magazines. Like, I don't think there's a, you know, the space for me. Or like, if I, you know, reach out to this magazine and try to work for them or whatever, will they think I'm, I'm silly? Like, are you allowed to email people and ask for a job? And I just felt really conflicted about where I was in my career. So I decided to leave New York and I moved to Toronto where I'm from. And I got a job there with a company called Much Music. It's kind of like the MTV of Canada. And in many ways, it was a dream job. You know, I grew up watching Much Music, idolizing the VJs, like watching music videos after school. And so I got to produce their daily show, which it was like our version of TRL. And then I also produced a lot of their fashion coverage. This was when kind of like celebrity fashion was becoming a thing, like 2010-ish. So I produced a lot of the fashion coverage. And Much Music was a great job. I was there for three years. And working celebrity entertainment, it's like, it's always fun. It's kind of like breaking news, but there's less pressure. It's still fast paced, but you're not reporting on like crime and politics and, you know, things like that. So it was a good change of pace for me. I I really enjoyed it. Uh, But again, after three years in Toronto, I felt like, is this it? Is this my career? Like I had a great job. I had a lot of friends. But I was turning 30 and I just felt like, you know, I still think there's more, more that I can do. And I don't think it quite ends here in Toronto just yet. And who knows, you know, I might end up in Toronto eventually. That's where I'm from. That's where my family is. But all I knew when I was 30 was, you know what, I want to see what else there is. Uh, sorry, I didn't want to go back to New York because I'd been there. I felt like I had experienced it. Um, And so LA seemed like a great option. I didn't really know people here, but I took a job you know, working in branding and marketing for a leather goods company. Again, very different from what I studied. It was not journalism related at all, but it was my foot in the door to come to LA. And I couldn't find any journalism jobs, but I knew I wanted to be in LA. So I kind of took a slight detour and to work in fashion, branding and marketing just to get me to the city. And I was there at this leather goods company for about two years, did a couple other fun jobs, you know, worked for Snapchat to help launch one of their Discover channels, did a lot of branding and marketing work for a friend's eyewear line. And then 
about four years ago, 2016, I saw this job uh, with a company called Penske Media, and they were launching a brand new men's lifestyle site called spy.com. They were looking for someone to run it. And again, I love launching things. I love, you know, working in the lifestyle space. And so I applied for the job and I got it. And I ran this site spy.com for about three years. And what was your title at spy.com? My title at spy.com was managing editor. Something that we can talk about is titles mean something in terms of getting you to a certain position, but you also you can also create what opportunities come along with that title. You know, traditionally a managing editor manages the production of a, a magazine. So you got to make sure the freelancers have their articles in. You got to make sure the deadlines are met so the printer gets it in time. Everything's copy edited and fact checked. You know, when you're launching a brand, like it's very different. You're also managing budgets and accounting and working with the web design team to figure out how the website's going to look like, working with advertisers who want to advertise. So just because your title is managing editor doesn't mean you're only limited, limited to doing traditional managing editor duties. So a title is important, but these days I just feel like a t- you shouldn't be defined by your title because there's so much more that you can do, or you can create your own opportunities in spite of what your title says. Getting back to spy.com and Penske Media, I was there for three years. And then Penske Media, our parent company, acquired Rolling Stone. Rolling Stone has obviously been, it's definitely been one of my dream magazines. I've collected Rolling Stone magazines since I was, you know, a teenager. I noticed at Rolling Stone that they weren't really covering lifestyle. Lifestyle meaning like celebrity collaborations, merch, tech. You know, one thing I always said, Kanye makes more money selling shoes right now than he does selling music. So if you're not covering Easy and Kanye's fashion lines, you're really missing out. I remember talking to the president of Rolling Stone. I'd gotten to know him, you know, here and there, like very casually, but we had never had really a full conversation. But I happened to be in New York and I stopped by his office and I said, hey, it's me, it's Tim Chan. You might know me from spy.com, but I'd love to chat with you. You know, I noticed you guys don't have anyone covering the lifestyle space and it's really important. A lot of celebrities are doing fashion collaborations and people care about like home audio and home theater. I really think it's a missed opportunity. I think you should hire me for that. And he said, I didn't know you were interested in working for us. What's this position? We don't have this position. And I said, I know you should hire me to be your lifestyle editor. I gave my pitch and he said, let me think about it. Send me a job proposal. And I did. Um, And two weeks later, he said, great, we'd love to hire you. When can you start? I got this job August 2019. So I just passed my one year anniversary, the first ever lifestyle editor at Rolling Stone. And now congratulations, because you've now been recently promoted as well. I just got promoted. This is brand new information. Your your podcast exclusive. <laughs> I got promoted to the director of products and commerce. And it's great. You know, it just means I, I'm I'm still managing a lot of the editorial, but working closely also with the marketing team and the publishing team to make sure that we're bringing in money for the company. And that's something I've really been interested in because I think a company is only as strong as their bottom line. You know, you can have the best writers and the most creative things, but if you aren't making money, you're going to have to let go of these writers and you're going to have to cut down on all the creative things. And so something I've learned in over the years in my career is that Everything you do has to be, of course, creative and and strong, but it also has to eventually 
tied to money and making money. And that's something that I was very afraid of because I thought, hey, I come from editorial. I'm a, I'm a journalist. I'm not going to be involved with the money. But now I'm like, no, I want to be involved. I want to say that you know, my contributions to the company helped to grow the brand. And so I accepted this new position a week ago as the director of products and commerce, um, which definitely um, moves me more towards that lane. Yeah, it's really amazing because you saw a gap in the company and you were able to propose a position, essentially get hired for something that they weren't even looking for. Yeah, and I think something that I learned, what is there to lose? I still had my job as the managing editor of spy.com. If Rolling Stone said, no, you're crazy, who are you? Great, I tried it. I still had a great job that I loved. So there was nothing to lose. And I think that's something that I used to be very nervous about. I used to be afraid of rejection and failure. You know, we'd be like, hey, we should ask for um, Keanu Reeves on the cover of Corduroy. And I'd be like, no, no, we can't. We're not good enough. No, no one knows who we are. Like, it's so embarrassing. I don't, I don't even want to reach out to the publicist. And a lot of those times, guess what? I didn't ask for these people. And because I was, I didn't feel confident in myself or in my product. An interesting side note is I actually recently heard from a publicist that we had worked with years ago when we were doing Corduroy. And she said, whatever happened to you guys? I loved your magazine. I wish you guys would have reached out more. And that to me was like, wow. I, I remember I texted Peter immediately. I'm like, oh my God, remember that publicist we were so scared about? Like she actually emailed me to say she misses us and wishes we could work with her more. Like, man, this was a publicist that I was too nervous to email or talk to when I had the magazine. And so that's something I learned with this Rolling Stone job is like, don't be afraid to ask for something because nothing is going to happen that is like so terrible, even if they say no. Are there any other tips or advice that you have for people who want to pursue a career in writing or becoming an editor? For sure. I think writing is a really interesting field because you definitely don't do it for the glamour. You know, journalists get paid next to nothing you don't really become famous like celebrities. There are very few, you know, famous writers or journalists. You do it because you love the craft of it and you love telling stories. You know, so you got to make sure that if you want to go into journalism, you're doing it for the right reasons because it's definitely not something that's easy. Uh, there aren't a lot of journalism jobs, as you know. You, you hear about media companies cutting jobs all the time. So make sure it's something you really want to do. And I would say, make sure you have a point of view. One thing that I was able to do was hone in on something that I was good at and an area that people needed more coverage in, which is, you know, lifestyle. I love music, but I knew that Rolling Stone has like amazing music writers who've been there for years and they know, they know music. Like I, I think I know music, but our Rolling Stone music editors like know it inside and out. Um, And I said, you know what? I know a lot about like lifestyle and fashion and I'm going to pitch myself as a lifestyle editor. So kind of carve out a niche for yourself, develop a voice. As a writer, it's very important to have a writing style and a voice. Don't try to imitate Joan Didion or don't try to imitate um, Roxane Gay or whoever. Like, Make sure you have your own voice. And then I think ultimately, don't chase titles. Forget about what the title is. Think about the opportunity and what you can do with your position. So even if you're working at like an independent local magazine, you might be like, man, I really wish I was at Vogue or GQ or whatever. But guess what? At this independent magazine, you're going to be exposed to so many things that you can learn. You can learn about 
putting something together from scratch. You probably get to work with the design team to talk about how your article will look like. You probably get to interview whoever you want because there's there aren't that many other editors ahead of you at this publication. Don't be afraid to, you know, to start small and then try to maximize each opportunity. I think that's really amazing advice because I think when you're starting out, you keep thinking, when I'm working for this publication or when I have this opportunity, then I'm going to create something really amazing and compelling. But yet, when you have even like a smaller opportunity, that's when you have a platform to really show your capabilities and your skills. And you really should be shooting or writing or creating for that independent publication at your fullest potential, because that could be an opportunity to get discovered. Mm -hmm. And I would add one more thing too, is in addition to kind of creating your own voice, think about what your stories are. Like, what do you want to write about? What is your thing? I always say, what is your thing? You know, are you passionate about race relations? Are you passionate about cooking? Are you passionate about travel? Look, even if you're passionate about celebrities, I think that's great. There's so many celebrity blogs out there. So how is your writing about celebrities going to be different? You know, how can you make your story smarter and funnier and more engaging than an Us Weekly or People Magazine or whatever? So find what your thing is and make sure you have a unique story to tell. Awesome. Wait, I have a question for you. What is something, because I know Burdock is all about representation and, you know, promoting the Asian experience. What is something that you think we learned or we experienced or we... As, as Asians trying to start a magazine, you know, back in the day? Because I kind of talked about how, at least for me, part of my lack of confidence in like approaching publicists or asking for people was just my own insecurities from dealing with my own issues. But also, I just didn't see a lot of successful Asian journalists, at least working in the lifestyle space. So I was like, they probably, they probably wouldn't want to talk to me. These celebrities probably wouldn't want to talk to me. Like, what, what's something that you thought about when we were launching the magazine? I think I had a similar experience in the sense that I didn't see Asian photographers shooting for these so-called dream publications I wanted to one day work for or shoot for. And I also shared a similar sense of insecurity where I went, well, if they're not using any Asian people to shoot this, who am I to think that I could one day shoot for this magazine? And even with having our own magazine, I think you and I notice even when we're cast, when we're putting together a list of people to interview and put in the magazine, especially in North America, there just wasn't many Asian talents, you know, be it actors, artists, musicians. I think there weren't that many people for us to interview. So um, I think that was definitely a challenge and perhaps also added to this sense of perhaps not belonging in this industry and not being seen. So I think part of the impetus of Burdock is to change that and to encourage young people to go into the creative field and to make them more aware of all the amazing Asian American people who are working in the creative industry today and just killing it. You know, it's really funny. When we were starting Corduroy, I sometimes thought it could be a detriment that we were Asian. I remember telling people like, oh, no, no, we're not an Asian magazine. Like, I almost tried to hide the fact that it was like started by two Asians. People always ask me, they're like, oh, we never saw your editor's photo when you wrote your editor's letter. There's always like an editor's photo. It's like, we've never seen your photo. Like, we don't really know who's behind this magazine. And for whatever reason, I thought, I'm like, yeah, I did that on purpose. I didn't want my Asian face to be what you saw when you opened 
the magazine to the editor's letter. And it's so interesting now that I'm like so proud to be an Asian and to be where I am today. And, you know, you started an Asian themed magazine to promote these experiences. I think it's such a testament to how things have changed, you know, over all these years. Yeah. I mean, I think that's quite, you know, thinking back now, it's quite sad and tragic that it occurred to you to be ashamed of putting mm-hmm. your photo up there in case it would somehow diminish the way people perceive the magazine. Um, but I guess that is the effects of the society we live in. And I don't know, I guess the the insecurity that the lack of representation creates and the different damage and hurt that happens to us. Mm-hmm. I should say too, though, it's like, look, if you ask me for advice about quote unquote, how to make it at the end of the day, you just have to be good at your job. Also think uh, if there's anything I've learned and something you can learn from me is don't be afraid now to advocate for yourself, to promote yourself. I love telling people about my job, you know, before I just felt maybe a little bit more insecure, like who am I? No one wants to know about me. Now I'm like, yeah, come ask me anything. Like, don't be afraid to promote yourself. Ask for what you want. Tell people what you're looking for. Um, if you're like, hey, I don't, hey, I don't know if you know anyone, but my dream is to work at Vanity Fair. Put it out there into the universe. Like, don't be afraid. Who knows? You know, someone might hear that and then help you get that opportunity. Well, thanks so much, Tim. And uh, I'm sure I'll talk to you tomorrow. <laughs> tomorrow, exactly, exactly. Thank you to Mark Redito for the music. Please support us by rating and reviewing us on iTunes or your podcast app of choice. And join us next week on Dream Up.